Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1315, air date September 11th, 2023. All right, everyone, good afternoon. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. It's almost 4.30 on 9-11. Um, many of you know this is a, obviously an occasion for those of us who remember 9-11, who remember um, the events, definitely the drama of 9-11 taking place. Uh, we believe there's a lot of lessons to learn. So what we've talked, what we've entitled today's talk is the big theater from 9-11 to today. And in this conversation, we want to um, look back at 9-11, the theatrics that took place, and what all of us can learn from that to the theatrics that are taking place right now. And when you look at 9-11, uh, there are so many, uh, you know, anomalies, quote unquote anomalies to say the least. Uh, that the best conclusion you can come to is that if you look at the events uh, of 9-11 prior to it and then what occurred after it, it was really a, an inflection point that led to uh, the escalation of pretty much everything we saw in the Middle East and the creation of one of the biggest um, you know, military uh, centers in Iraq, which was one of the goals that was set up 10 years ago. And so uh, in this conversation, Ken O'Keefe is going to join us. Ken was actually a soldier in the first Iraq war. And he has a bunch of other activism experience that occurred after uh, the Iraq war uh, in the Middle East. So we're gonna talk about this in a personal way, um, but also we're gonna talk about it um, you know, from the lessons that we can learn. So we have Ken, Ken joining us and um, Ken's out in Hawaii. So let me make sure Ken's unmuted. So uh, let, let me sort of give the context here because there's so many things to talk about. We wanna, um, because everyone's been writing to us on 9-11. So, um, and, and Ken, maybe you can remember where you were, but I'll give you sort of what happened to, to me. You know, we, we used to have a, a company that we ran many years ago. In fact, our data centers are but in down in Cambridge, a company called EchoMail, and EchoMail was used to for, as a customer service technology uh, as my second foray after inventing email to using it to analyze email and route it for customer service. So, we had a very fast growing company. This is in 2000 and you know, we started in 1993 and we were in Harvard Square. And uh, 2002, people may remember, that's when the dot-com bust took place. So our company was actually growing quite nicely. And um, I remember my communications officer coming into me. She goes, hey, uh, Dr. Shivan, I was in my room typing. She said, hey, something has hit one of the towers. And I go, oh, okay. So I just thought it was something minor. Went back to working away on a proposal I was doing. And then she comes back in and says, she goes, hey, Dr. Shiva, something else has hit another tower. And I go, wow, this sounds serious. So our entire company gathered in our conference room. We brought out the TV, right? We had the TV um, and we saw these events taking place. And then you're watching it and then both towers come down and then building seven comes down. Um, and so on. Now, this was interesting because one of my customers was American Express. American Express was in Building 7, okay? Um, and we were the company that was handling all of American Express's global customer service email communications. So anytime someone sent an email to American Express, it would get routed to our data center. We would analyze our email and route it, et cetera. Um, but within like 40, I think less than, uh, they had a disaster recovery center in New Jersey and they were up and running. So, um, and obviously we were, uh, so we had a number of companies who were concerned about that because they were our customers. But 
that is what I remember on that date. So Ken, maybe you can um, tell us very briefly, Ken, the fact, I think you were, you're a veteran, you were a Marine, uh, you were in Iraq. And then if you can just share a little bit about that and then give us your memory of what you remember of 9-11. Well, thank you for having me, uh, or for us having this conversation on today is a huge day, as you've noted. Um, I was young and dumb. I'll give you the quick version of the history. I mean, if we sat here and talked about our histories, we'd need days, uh, both of us, I'm sure of it. I was young and dumb, 19 years old. I watched Full Metal Jacket, rented that uh, VHS tape from Blockbuster, and bam, I decided on a whim to join the Marines. I wanted to become a man, you know, so that, that's the way I thought, infantry. Um, in that experience, I loved it. I loved the challenges. I, I was able to deal with all of it. Uh, went to combat in the first Gulf War, um, breathed in toxic smoke, was treated as a human guinea pig, courtesy of George Bush Sr., who injected us or under orders, um, and he died from Gulf War Syndrome. By the time I got out of the Marine Corps, I had refused an unlawful order, which I recommend. I urge all of you who've taken that oath to protect and defend the Constitution to refuse all unlawful orders. I, that's what I did, and I paid heavily. Yes, I did. So by the time I got out of the Marines after three years, I knew I was wrong about the Marine Corps, and I thought, what else am I wrong about? So I studied voraciously. Truth became my God. And through the pursuit of truth, I reached a point that by 9-11, on September 11, 2001, I became a dive instructor. I was a boat captain. I, I had my own business. I built from the ground up. I had two boats. I was very successful. I built the most successful, the best dive operation in Hawaii. I was living on the beach, had money, and on 9-11, someone called up from, because we're way behind, you know, we're like six hours behind the, the East Coast, um, and I started watching it, and right away, I knew, like, this is some sort of false flag. Of course, I didn't know the details, but I knew it was some sort of manipulation, and I had an Iranian who was with me visiting when I was there, and we were both, we could kind of see it through the same filter. So unlike most people who were mind-numbingly brain-dead and accepted this fairy story as the official version, 19 hijackers, box cutters, passports flying out of the building, steel frames collapsing to dust, a third building with two planes. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. And nobody with a critical mind would have bought that for a second. But it just shows how pervasive mind control is. And I mean, I've been sitting here witnessing this stuff now for, for decades, quite frankly. Um, but that's what was happening to me on 9-11. And I literally fled my paradise life. If I it just real, I literally left my paradise life in Hawaii with a business I built from the ground up with money and sought political asylum because I knew I could not keep my mouth shut. I don't know how to keep my mouth shut. And I knew I wasn't going to sit here and repeat all these all the stupidity, much less Osama bin Laden and where we went with that. So, Ken, uh, so you were running a dive business. And then what 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 time in the morning did you see it in Hawaii? Do you remember the time? Well, it was uh, what was it like 9 a.m., 8 a.m. Uh, East Coast time. Yeah. So it was very early in the morning for you. It like, was. Yeah. Like yeah. it was dark, you know. Right. It's like three or four a.m. Yeah. As we started watching. Yeah. Right. So you right away knew something was wrong. Um I want to just, uh, I'm going to sort of, I have a list of some of the anomalies that were obvious, you know, 
that people have talked about. And, and I think, and maybe if you can, um, instead of making, I mean, there's so many, there's a, we have a, a group here in Boston, which has civil engineers, scientists who've given me books and books of stuff on theories, you know, what they think it is. But what I'd like to talk about is just the sort of the elephant in the room, some of the anomalies. And I'll, and uh, so one of the anomalies I know is building seven went down and you can see it, right? Which is just this random building next to it falls. Uh, many of, uh, there's been many, many uh, clear eyewitness reports of many of the firefighters uh, talking about, you know, um, it coming down as though it was a, a demolition crew. You know, we have a couple of friends in our movement here who actually do demolition and many, uh, there's enough videos people can find uh, people talking about explosives taking place and literally pieces coming down. Um, and the other, I think, important thing is right after all of this, the U.S. sets up the biggest military base in Iraq, Allah uh, stating this Saddam Hussein had uh, weapons of mass destruction. So those are sort of the big glaring ones, you know, that everyone sees. And I think most people, when they see Building 7 come down, that's what really, really gets them because it's so, it's one of the most obvious things that took takes place. And then if people do a little bit of research, they'll find out even 10 to 15 years before this, the United States government had a plan, a strategic plan to set up the biggest military base in Iraq. And that ends up obviously coming uh, to fruition. Um, what, are, what are the anomalies that you remember, Ken, from watching this? Like things that are avert. Okay. Well, I was aware of the third building. Um, you know, it was reported as famously uh, the BBC, <laughs> which I've been a guest of the BBC several times, um, reported that Building 7 had fallen before it actually fell, uh, which just shows uh, you, you guys are ahead of the timeline, the script, the show. The, oh, you know, you're as, saying there, there's data showing that they had reported Building 7 fell before it fell. No, there, there's video footage of the actual report and the timestamp that show, like she's saying, Building Seven went down, and Building Seven is literally behind her, right? Literally, so that's yeah. a bit of an anomaly. Like, did, no, no that's, that's the script. Yeah. Oh, you read the script too quick. Yep. Um, what are the other anomalies? Not only, yeah, not only that. Um, you know, I became friends because I've spoke the truth about this right off the bat. Um, literally, I burned my passport, charged the United States with crimes against humanity just a few months after 9-11. Trust me, that wasn't popular. I was Mr. Anti-American when I'm actually a real American patriot. So another anomaly is uh, Rudy Dent, who was a dear friend of mine. God bless him. He's passed on. He was the chief fire investigator on the day from mm -hmm. New York. He's the one who famously said in an interview just a few days later that he heard the explosions in the building. He lost 444, I believe, of his brothers. Like, for those that don't know, firemen are like family. These guys live together. They work together. They risk their lives for each other. This is more than a colleague in the office. This is brothers. So out of love and honoring his brothers, he told the truth. But his experience after that is a whole other story. But God bless Rudy Dent. Look him up. He's a true patriot, the most qualified guy on the day who said flat out uh, things that totally contradicted the official version, completely and totally. And what did he say, Ken? Can you just summarize what he said? He said uh, the explosions, you got to remember, at that time they were denying explosions, explosions. They were saying it was melted steel. 
from tin, little aluminum cans hitting steel frame buildings somehow caused fires that made it all melt and then it all fell down. No explosions in there other than the initial one. So why did Rudy Dent say he heard the explosions in the buildings? Why? Like, why is there explosions? Well, we all know there's charges in those buildings. We see the squibs. You can see the squibs. We have uh, multiple accounts. Uh, and and that, that was just one of the things. But really what was uh, revealing is the disappearance of the buildings. And I would say, Dr. Judy Wood, Where Did the Towers Go? I highly recommend that book. It talks about directed energy because I'll tell you what. If there were explosives put in the Twin Towers, that does not explain those buildings turning to dust. Explosive charges do not turn steel beam. We go back to Rudy Dent. What were the what was the biggest thing Rudy Dent said? If you can just focus on that, he said it was explosives, right? He You're heard he he didn't say it was explosives. He said he heard multiple explosions in the buildings, which ran counter to yep. their narrative that it was melted steel. Right, and Rudy and Dent that was, that was hugely. And he was the official chief fire investigator for the New York City Police? Yes, yes. yes. The Vietnam vet, former police chief, and a chief fire investigator from New York on the day. And what happened to him after that? Do you know? Well, uh, because uh, we need to get in the responsibility. We, at least let's save that to last. Who did it? I mean, we can talk about the methods. No, what, happened Rudy, I find that what happened to Rudy Dent after that? Did he... Uh, after he was targeted, he was targeted. Uh, the the Jews the Jews moved all around him. He lived in a part of New York outside the city. He had lived there for decades, and they surrounded him. He kept going to the community board meetings and saying the truth about it all. And eventually, he died from respiratory issues, which all the more firemen died from the respiratory issues of all that toxic crap they smoked, they they inhaled the asbestos and all the other toxic stuff. So you know, the man was a warrior till the end. He served his God and nation faithfully, and like most real patriots, uh, he's far too far too little appreciated for what he did. So he doesn't. He he, he died. He does. He died of respiratory illness. He did. He died. Okay. Yeah, about several years ago. All right. Let's let's uh have, have some very interesting comments here. So if we um, go back to nine eleven, um, and sort of if we look back at after 9-11, it was then became the basis of basically targeting, it, it gave a rationalization to the United States government to say, we need to go into Iraq, right? And then uh, the thesis came up that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, and then we go into Iraq. Then after that, it was Afghanistan. And after that, a massive military base gets built up in Iraq. Now, 1991, when you went in, right? So this is in 2001, when all this takes place. But 10 years before, it, it, so 2001, everyone probably remembers when 9-11 took place. There's a picture, it was this George Bush, George, you know, not H.W. Bush, but Bush Jr., right? George W. Bush. Uh, people remember him with his megaphone, right? Standing with firefighters and him saying, we're going to go get them now, whoever did this. Um, what's interesting is I never saw him speak like that. You know what I mean? He sounded like he was like getting, bringing people to together. Did you know what George Bush was in college, Ken? What he did? Well, I know Skull and Bones. I know that he you was snorting you know coke. His... I know that he was, you know. But do you know what his real, so apparently 
Um, you know, he always comes across, if, if those, those of you who remember that period, the media would always present George Bush, we're talking about the second Bush, as like dumb and like he was slow and he didn't know what he was talking about, you know? But on that day, 9-11 was interesting for me was he takes that megaphone and actually gives this very like cheerleading speech. We're going to go get him. So I was like a little bit shocked because up until that point, they always made him look stupid. It turns out at Yale, he was the chief cheerleader. And apparently in, in his fraternity, people would say he had an amazing memory. Apparently when they did fraternity rush, he could remember everyone's name. And I had a friend of mine who's an attorney who used to live next to the Bushes. And he said, yeah, he goes, that's all just made up. And this is sort of the theatrics. They made Bush, even Junior, look like he was a dummy. But apparently he had an incredible memory. And he was a cheerleader, which means he would go to all the games and get people all excited. So that's what I saw him do there. And it was quite a different character than I'm, that I was presented up until that point of Bush. And that, and that cheerleading gets Americans excited to go into Iraq, you know, target Hussein as this, uh, you know, evil person that must be taken out. Now, in 1991, 10 years before, you, when we started this discussion, you said, you know, you saw Full Metal Jacket and that got you all revved up to go be, a, quote unquote, a man, right? Uh, when you went to right. Iraq in 1991, what was the message given to you, Ken, of why we were going to Iraq then? And I think you were 19 or 20. I'm coming right back. Excuse me. Okay. So Ken's coming right back, but. Um, Dude, I'm doing an interview right now. Right. So what we want to talk about is that um, our talk today is really about the big theater from 9-11 to today. And uh, to, to those of you who remember right after 9-11, um, then immediately they had to go find the enemy who who was responsible for 9-11. And it leads to pointing the finger at Saddam Hussein, who was a thug. You know, he was he had his own enterprise running in Iraq. By the way, he was put in there by the United States. And then we go bomb the hell out of Iraq. More soldiers go in. And uh, after that, we obviously the United States gets Iraq's oil. And one of the largest military bases gets set up in Iraq. So, oh, there's Kenny's back. So what I wanted to ask Ken was, um, now Ken was in Iraq 10 years before that. Um, and I want to really understand, Ken, when you were in Iraq 10 years before that, in 1991, you had gone in you know, with all the bombast of wanting to be in the military. But when you went in in 1991, and that was George Herbert Walker Bush, the senior Bush, why did we go from at least the party line of why you were going into Iraq in 1991, Ken? Well, I was young and dumb. I mean, in, in you know, when we're young, we're allowed to be dumb. You know, I, I did a lot of things when I was younger that were silly. Um, but, you know, that's how we learn, isn't it? We make mistakes. Thankfully for me, my mistake didn't result in me murdering somebody because there's 22 American service members a day been committing suicide upon return. Why are they committing suicide? They're committing suicide because we haven't fought a noble or defensive war for the last century, literally, and I'm going back before World War One, World War Two as well. But that's another subject. The but when you went into Iraq, is, what, was the, what was the reason they told you, Ken? What was the party line? That what was when you were there protecting a small nation from an aggressor, uh, large right. nation. Yeah, because a lot of people international law, you know, blah blah blah, which is ironic because <laughs> I'm here in Hawaii and the big nation stole the little nation, Hawaii. 
Right, so there's Kuwait here, Iraq is here, and the message we were given was Iraq was invading Kuwait. This is in Gulf War One, right? Yeah, and that we were going there to defend the Kuwaitis at that time from this evil guy, Saddam Hussein. I can give context. I mean, if we want to, like, they suckered Saddam. Saddam was just killing Iranians by order of our government. We brought him out of the Baptist Party in Iraq. Yep. We brought him up through the CIA to be the leader of Iraq. And then he's, he's our little attack dog. And we got him to attack Iran because Iran's not down with the program. And ultimately, after he did his job like a good little slave, we then suckered him into thinking that Kuwait, which they have a legitimate claim to, because Kuwait is a little podunk nation set up for the oil-exploiting nations like England and whatnot, to extract the oil to no benefit of the people in the region. And Iraq had only actually had a legitimate right to go into Kuwait. It was created by the colonial entities. So anyway, they suckered him into it. They suckered him into it. And yeah, then once he got there, oh, he's evil. He gasses Kurds. He's got chemical weapons. Right. Ah. So when, when, you, when, you, when you went in, Ken, uh, you were, what, in the Marines, right? Up until then? Do you remember when... Oh, 311, Kuwait, infantry. What did your superiors tell you? Like, do you remember the day what they told you why you were going to go into Iraq? What, do you remember what they well, told you? I volunteered. I volunteered to go before my unit was, was even assigned. I was, like, oh, ready to go. Again, I'm young and dumb. Let me re-emphasize how stupid I was. Right. Um, what was the propaganda oh, they in the military? Indoctrination and, and mind control, which I'd like to get into in this interview. What, what was a what was a propaganda? They said why we had to go into Iraq to protect a small nation from a big nation because oh, we're the good guys. We're the good guy cops of the world. Right. So there was the same message that they gave to the rest of us. It wasn't something much more yeah. jingoistic than that. This guy's invading. Total we got to go. Yeah, yeah. That's what I yeah. wanted to find. Okay. So it's the same message that they were giving us. They gave the same thing to the soldiers. So you were going to go protect the small country. When you went there yeah. in '91, right? Um, were you you went to Kuwait, right? Did you actually go into Iraq, or were you in Kuwait, based out of Kuwait? No, our our job was to secure the main uh, highway between Kuwait City and Baghdad, otherwise known as the Highway of Death. So we pushed right through Kuwait. And then we secured that point. That was our job. So I never, I have actually been into Iraq, but it was later, not as a Marine. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, Ken, is in 1990, so that was 1991. In 1993, two years later, um, one of my customers was a customer called Nike, you know, for one of our technologies out in, and I was going to visit them. And a limo driver comes, picks me up because I, I had my morning meetings in 1993. A very interesting guy. He said he was in Saddam's army. And I said, what, what actually took place? He goes, look, this is what actually took place. He goes, all that stuff about uh, Kuwait was nonsense. He goes, there were 13 provinces in Kuwait, I'm sorry, in Iraq that were erupting, meaning people within Iraq wanted, they didn't like Saddam, the basic you know, people in Iraq. My uncle had been a surgeon for many, many years between uh, Saudi Arabia and Iraq. And he said the Iraqi people are extremely, you know, westernized, you know, uh, they weren't like some, you know, what's depicted in the media, like they were, you know, like the Taliban or something, very sophisticated people, very smart people. And he said, look, in 13 of these provinces, there were massive uprisings. And he said his father was a mayor of one of these provinces and also a professor, and he was leading one of these uprisings against Saddam. 
basic people democratically organized and they were rising up. And he had a very, very different story. He goes, the Kuwait thing was a uh, the theater that was created because Saddam needed US military help to put down these uprisings. And he said with his own eyes, and he, he saw uh, you know, what his F-15 fighters, there was one massive demonstration on a bridge in Iraq. And he goes, American fighters came and mowed down all of these Iraqi people fighting against Saddam. And he goes, after the Gulf War, That's the war death. Yeah. yeah, and they gave the United, he goes, I saw with my own eyes, he said, the United States military giving all the weapons back to Saddam. So they basically, yeah. his analysis and what he shared, and he shared Same it. Same thing with ISIS. Same thing with ISIS. They were driving around in, in, in freaking Toyotas and like all Same thing with Afghanistan. Yeah. People don't understand. Trump is the one who invited the Taliban back. And then Biden just continued. And there were massive uprisings. This is as recent as, what, two, three years ago of the Afghan women rising up and wanting U.S. Right. true democratic movement. And we screwed those people out there because it basically. So anyway, his his his. Uh, Story was if I may, if I may, it's important for people to realize if we're going to go in deep to you know the context of Saddam and why he was there, how long he lasted, what were the real motivations of war. But he is he is a Sunni, a Sunni Muslim, um, a minority, uh, roughly fifteen percent or so, seventeen percent, whatever of Iraqi population yeah, is Sunni. Yeah. So the majority is Shia, and and the the South in particular, that area, which I've been to Basra, I've been to all of them. Uh, they they were already they they were not getting favor uh, from Saddam Hussein, uh, but because Saddam was backed by the CIA, he was able to survive and ultimately use that dirty money from the CIA to be able to have his mercenary force to be able to end anybody who might even begin to threaten him. So that's how it survived as long as it did. But yeah, he never had popular support, but he had U.S. support up until they changed the agenda. Right. And I think it's also important when you talk about, so you have the Shia, which are the majority. We were supporting Saddam. He was a, he was an agent of the CIA. But in Iran, a lot of people don't understand that there were the Kurds, right? And they were, many of them were leading their own liberation fight for self-determination. And the U.S. was basically destroying them gassing them using Saddam. And maybe you want you want to just educate people on that. Can you allude to it? But just how brutal Saddam was. And we were behind that, in many ways, that genocide treatment of the Kurds up there. Well, I've, I've, I've also been to Iran several times. And I've been back to Iraq uh, three times, I believe, uh, subsequently, maybe four. And what people don't realize is that Saddam Hussein didn't just attack the Kurds. You have independence movements in Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and, and, and Iran, like, you know, they have areas that intersect all of these areas. So that, that's a complicated story. But nonetheless, um, Saddam wasn't just gassing Kurds. He was gassing Iranians. Yep. I have met Iranians who have respiratory uh, problems from that toxic crap that they smoked, uh, inhaled into their lungs, and then also res uh, skin problems from the mustard gas and the other biological agents and nerve agents that were used so like they don't get they don't get any mention at all for those few that know about the kurds and the gassing of saddam while we supported him and the cia covered up this crap we provided him those weapons to do all that stuff and he was our favored nation trading partner 
and we were giving him weapons. So was the Soviet Union and all, all over the place. Yeah. He was getting it from everywhere. So that just tells you he was part of a global matrix. He's a nothing little podunk, little pawn. But still, he was part of that matrix of power, which we see has a, an amazingly admirable uniform cohesiveness on a global level on many issues. And we only today start to see this shift from west to east where this is starting to break apart. It's, it's starting to fracture now on a big level. But anyway, Saddam is just a useful pawn in the game. I think the big takeaway is for people to understand that George H.W. Bush was a former director of the CIA, right? President of the United States starting in 1991, had found a very, very valuable ally in Saddam Hussein. And if you intersect what you just shared, Ken, with the stuff I got from this guy who was in Iraq, right? Um, it's not like the Iraqi people were fine with this. We're talking separate from Saddam. Now we go to the Iraqi people. The Iraqi people also recognized Saddam as a dictator. And there were multiple uprisings within Iraq. And they wanted a democratic Iraq. And I think the takeaway people need to recognize that the United States swarm, the elites have always supported fascists throughout the world, be it Pinochet in Chile, you know, be it what we did through, throughout Central America. And Saddam was a useful uh, puppet of the United States, a thug that was used to conduct all sorts of anti-democratic activities. And I think that it's a central lesson. It may be obvious to us, Ken, but for many young people, they don't remember this, um, particularly, you know, with, with what took place in Vietnam. So now if you go back to 9-11, when 9-11 took place, um, leading up to that, there were many, many policies that the United States wanted to really secure the Middle East. And, and many people have written about this extensively up until, you know, late 90s, early 2000. The goal was to create a massive military base in Iraq. So you have 9-11 takes place. And the next day, what happens? We're saying that Saddam Hussein was the one who caused that, right? Um, and so maybe, Ken, from your understanding, when you look at who were the really people that were involved, you know, uh, in, in, from the from the apparent hypothesis of 9/11, do you think Saddam Hussein was involved in 9/11, or do you think it was? Well, I know who it is, uh -huh. and I've I've made a documentary about it. Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with it, and and he would have had nothing to gain from it. It would have been beyond stupid uh, for all the things you might want to say about him. He wasn't a bloody idiot. Um, so who is responsible? Well, I would uh, remind people of something they probably don't know because we've been mind controlled into a stupor. Um, Israeli Mossad has a motto. For those that don't know, Israeli Mossad, that's their, that's their CIA. And their motto is, by way of deception, thou shalt do war. Now, who benefits from war? Nobody. Oh, but one. The bankers. Bankers benefit from war. Nobody else benefits from war other than the defense contractors and everybody associated so by way of deception thou shalt do war israeli Mossad was in the building before 9-11 frank lowey and larry silverstein two jewish billionaires just transferred these two asbestos filled buildings literally full of asbestos half empty the port authority which had ownership and liability for those buildings for 10 years had been trying to get out from under that liability and they finally lost. They tried everything and they couldn't do it. So they were stuck with the liability of billions of dollars to remove the asbestos, which was already killing people with cancers 
related to the asbestos. But here comes Frank Lowy and Larry Silverstein a month before 9-11, who happened to transfer billions of liability from the Port Authority of New York to themselves and double the insurance policy. Worked out well, because within a month, those buildings turned to dust. They turned to dust. Well, disposal problem gone. All my firemen brothers like Rudy Denton, who I mentioned earlier, who's dead now, that's from the respiratory problems of the asbestos and all that other stuff that turned to dust that they inhaled. So this is mass murder. Oh, but, it, hey, it paid off well for Frank Lowy and Larry Silverstein. Oh, by the way, Larry okay. Silverstein, what did, he, what did, one, what one did he do? on? One second. So there was – so the so the buildings you're uh, saying had asbestos in them, half of the building, right? And asbestos, by the way, has – some people may know about this asbestos causes, you know, the microfibers and asbestos go pierce your alveoli and they cause respiratory illness. So those buildings were a liability. Who owned the buildings then, Ken? The Port Authority of so New Port York. Port Authority of New York owns the World Trade Center. And did Silverstein buy the liability or buy the building? Frank Lowy and Larry Silverstein yeah. bought the buildings, so transferred liability of billions to themselves. Right, so the Port Authority is no longer liable uh, for asbestos. Nope. It transfers to these two guys. Why do they buy it? If because Israeli Mossad, Frank Lowy, and Larry Silverstein directly connected to Israeli Mossad. Uh -huh. Israeli Mossad and the Jewish bankers who run the Federal Reserve, the private bank, thirty-three trillion in debt. All of this intersects by way of deception. Now shalt do war. Mossad agents in the building. Cheering on the day, cheering, yay! You know, watching, filming the event, admitting to it in Tel Aviv on television that they were there to document the event. So that means they knew about it. Got it. So, so is happy to sell the building to these two guys because they're afraid they're going to get uh, all sorts of lawsuits. So these guys buy it, um, and which they're working right. together. The Port Authority of New York is come right. on. Anybody who wants to deal in, in New York, Manhattan real estate is going to be dealing with who is the purveyor of that real estate, like the Epstein's and all the rich. Yeah. yeah. So, Give me so a break. Anyway, this private private party buys a building and you said that they doubled the insurance on it after they bought it. The insurance. They did. What did they, they double they, it to? How much how much money would they have to gain if something happened to the building? So they bought the buildings for I believe it was 100 million. Uh -huh. Which think wow. about it, hundred millions. Like even back then, that that's like nothing. Yeah. But the reason why it's nothing is because they were a liability. In truth, they right. transferred billions of liability to themselves. Personally, got it. got it. You couldn't possibly. There is no logical argument. This is the dumbest move ever. Had it not been for those buildings turning to dust a month later. Right. And how much did they collect on it from the insurance? Four billion. Okay, so they bought it they for two. They claimed two. They see, they claim it wasn't one terrorist incident. No, 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 no. The first plane, whatever, uh, if we believe the official version, that's one. And then the second one, oh, that's the second one. So we get two collections, which is four billion for a hundred million investment. So forty. Wow, X that worked out well. That so worked they out a, really well. So they made four thousand percent increase in their money. Right, 40x. Investment, eh? Yeah. All right. So follow the money. Uh, they so the so your point is that Mossad executed this for them, 
and they made 40x. 100%. But they also had, but, but then. I should be dead. I should be dead 20 times over. Only because of God am I still alive. I'll say what nobody else will say. It's Israeli Mossad, and they're the ones running this country through the Federal Reserve Bank. Right. So then after that, then, but there was also some other valuable uh, issues, because then it was a basis for going into Iraq and saying Saddam had weapons of mass destruction, right? So they got let us let us recall, let us recall of all of these so-called hijackers and Osama bin Laden himself, how many were Iraqi? Zero. So where did they come from? Saudi Arabia. Huh. So why aren't we invading Saudi Arabia? What did Iraq have to do with uh, 9-11? Nothing. But you know what it did have to do with? Something called the Greater Israel Project and the Project for a New American Century and Rebuilding America's Defenses, which PNAC, the neocons, which is a code word for dual Israeli nationals. So they're Israeli nationals to the Jewish state and in the top levels of the executive branch of the U.S. government formulating policy, which happens to jive with something known as Greater Israel. See, Israel wants to expand all the way from its current stolen genocidal land-bought gains, all the way into Iraq, up to the River Euphrates, and down into Egypt, all the way to the River Nile, and all the way east, out past Jordan and whatnot, into Saudi Arabia. That's greater Israel. So, they had a list of targets, which, you know, nobody knows unless you actually study history for real, and the target number one, who was target number one on the Greater Israel Project? Iraq. Number one. Number yeah, one. I mean, who I mean many, many years ago, I, I mean, uh, I saw, I mean, even during Dick Cheney's times, right? A very clear plan that one of the goals was this Greater Israel concept, which goes back to the 1940s, by the way, right? And the concept of having a massive military base in the Middle East based out of Iraq. So what ends up, the outcome of that is not only do these two guys make $4 billion, right? But the United States ends up fueling the entire military industrial complex. Billions, trillions went into it. And then there's, a, and the, I think we stole all the oil out of Iraq. Um, and then we meaning the, the swarm. And then there's a massive military base left in there. The other piece I think people forget, Ken, is this is also the base of going into Afghanistan, right? Well, um, that, that's actually where we went first. We did go to yeah. Afghanistan because apparently Osama's uh, hiding in caves in Tora Bora. Right. Um, you know, what a joke. The real reason for that was it's all part of the project for a new American century, the global spectrum dominance agenda, which means total control over air, land, sea, space, and cyberspace. And controlling the resources, we know there's a stupendous amount of minerals, and, and, and metals in Afghanistan. Right? Are, it's you know. a stupendous region, gas, yeah. all sorts of stuff. So that was why we took that. Plus, to take control, there was no heroin production to speak of under the Taliban, but immediately from when we liberated them, the heroin production shot through the roof. The CIA was using that for its black ops. All of it ties in together quite nicely. And by the way, I have to mention my brother, uh, Marcus, Dandria, great brother, uh, one of the wounded warriors, he stepped on a landmine over there in Afghanistan and lost both of his legs. So, this is why we send our sons and daughters off to these wars. To lose body parts, to lose hope, to become suicidal or psychopathic and return home and unconstructive members of society generally. At the, 
This is what we're doing. This is what we've been doing. This is what we continue to do, even fostering war now with Russia. This is a dangerous game. And they're not confused about what a man or a woman is over there in Russia. They got that going for them. Here we are debating what's a man and a woman. Jesus Christ. So, we, if, so after 9-11, we have this escalation. Uh, what's in interesting is Afghanistan. A lot of Americans may not know about this. If you go, uh, the Afghan people, women had the right to vote before even the American women. I don't know if you know that. So yeah. people, we are presented in the media like all these people are like backward people. Uh, Iraq was a very advanced country. Uh, Afghani women, you can go look at pictures. They had the right to vote suffrage even before the American women did. Um, after, Same thing with Iran, by the way. Iran has more women in university than men today. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I just I think the 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 way that we are pushed to think that we're going and liberating these people from the bondages is absolutely not true. But Afghan women had the right to vote before American women. And what's two years ago or a year ago, Ken, you may know that. So we go, um, I was teaching a class at MIT called Systems Visualization, and we had a, an Arab student. And students would take a very, very complex topic, and they would do these wonderful systems visualizations. Because, you know, you take like the healthcare system, right? Or the election system, or, and these are very complex systems. So what we used to teach in the classes, you take a complex system, you draw the network diagram, which is a very complex diagram, like I have of the swarm in the back. Then students would do a narrative story and they would have to come up with an actual artistic project, right? So you could teach something. So this kid wanted to do 9-11, which is very controversial still, okay? And so what he, what he and I came up with actually together was, it was, a, it was an art project that went horizontally across. In the middle of it were the two Twin Towers. And he had to also bring in data because we didn't want to make it just suppositions and passion and all this. And what, he, what we did was if the, if the towers are here, we drew lines coming like this into the towers, okay? Different lines and then lines coming out. What were these lines? These lines were, and, and the y-axis was data. So the lines were, for example, how much heroin was being traded before 9-11. And you can see it was dropping dramatically. And then after 9-11, it explodes. There were many, many lines about bills in Congress which weren't moving for trying to uh, surveil U.S. citizens, right? And after 9-11, you see these explosive growth in bills like the Patriot Act. And the there's Patriot many data. Um, oil yeah. companies weren't doing well. So pre-9-11, you look at the data of bills in Congress where, you know, the uh, swarm the establishment wanted to surveil U.S. citizens. They weren't going anywhere because people were becoming smart about this. There were there were heroin sales were way down. And then after 9-11, they explosively grow. So it's a beautiful animation he did. He has these airplanes, which represented the different curves hitting the building and how they exploded. If you also remember around that time, everyone should go back and look at the economic history. The dot-com bus takes place many companies are failing, right? There's, if you invested, the stock market is way down. It's at near, you know, the stock market in certain tech companies was using, losing 99% value. After 9-11, there are certain businesses that explosively grow, cyber surveillance companies, right? Uh, heroin companies, right? Because of Patriot Act, big oil companies. If you had portfolios in them, you would have had a 400% increase in your portfolios. 
So the 9-11 was very, very profit-making for certain industries, which were going nowhere prior to that. Halliburton, right? Company owned by, formerly by Dick Cheney, where he was on the board, explosively. Or conversely, or conversely the put options on airline stock, where if you had right. known that you'd have these, <laughs> you could have made a lot of money on a put option predicting the decline right. of certain companies. So, so 9-11 was extremely profitable, if you follow the money from what you're saying with the Silverstein guys. They made $4 billion, right? Halliburton made a ton of money having to go, you know, rebuild Iraq, right? Military Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney did well. Good for Dick. There we go. Cheney did well. The Bushes did well. Um, a lot of people did very, very well. But after, but the entire market had crashed in 2002. People, it was a dot-com bust, right? Everything had crashed. Yeah. Stock values of companies went down by 90, 95%. So I think we just need to look at that context of what was occurring after that. So, Ken, so I think we can all agree that 9-11, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of theatrics there and the theater profited a lot of people. I wanted to segue into the theater of what's going on today and then go to Maui because you're out there. Um, so if we look at so I, I think the reason I wanted to really, you know, we titled this a big theater from 9-11 to today is that I don't think people fully understand that the swarm, the elites have infinite resources to unleash massive theater, right? Using all the media that they have at power because there's so many contradictions. We had a, uh, you know, we do these open houses, Ken. Let me just uh, uh, let people know. Every, every Thursdays, Ken, we do an open house at 11 a.m. and at 8 p.m. EST and we invite everyone to participate in our movement for truth, freedom, health. But the but one of our open houses, we had a um, uh, we had a commercial pilot who came on, and he said, "Oh, I said, I go, why are you coming?" He goes, "Well, I've been watching your videos," and he and I go, "What made you start realizing things were wrong?" He goes, "Well, because I'm a commercial pilot, and you see, when I saw that airline move and hit that building at such speed, he goes, there's no way an airline can go can create that much force." Because as people understand aerodynamics, you know, when something's flying low, you don't have enough thrust to fly except what you have when you're flying at a higher altitude because of the um, essentially the, uh, uh, you, you know, if you just look at uh, the, the, uh, the, the density of air, right? It's just simple physics. So he said that's what, it, what got him involved in starting to really look at this. But I think the bottom line is you have to, if you're, if you're not a skeptic, there are enough anomalies here to realize that there was theatrics taking place here and the theater paid off well. And I think, Ken, I want to transition to right now because this is something that, that we want to talk about because if you look at the theatrics of 9-11, and let's talk a little bit about the theatrics of 2020. You know, 2020, there was another theater pulled called, quote unquote, the pandemic. And if you look back at 2020, I think it's important to understand that it was theater, right? And in 2020, um, again, people should remember where, I think just like 9-11 is an important date, everyone should ask themselves where they were in March of 2020 when the so-called pandemic hits. And that context lets people start dwelling into how did the modern cast and crew behave? So Fucker Carlson or Tucker Carlson, like I'd like to say, or uh, Booby Robert Kennedy or Trump, if you go back, look at 2020, what did they do? Well, Trump was promoting lockdowns, lockstep and barrel with Fauci. 
Booby Kennedy, who acts like he's fighting for medical freedom, was also promoting lockdowns. Tucker Carlson was silent. Rand Paul, um, all these guys were absolutely silent. They waited a year. So one of the things, Ken, is, I, you know, and, and when we look back at 9-11, there were people who knew stuff about 9-11 and were silent, just like people who knew stuff about 2020 and were silent then. They waited about two years and they would do then documentaries attacking Fauci, made a lot of money doing that. But the amount of money that was made in 2020, just like what you just shared with the Silverstein guys, that the, the, the big elephant in the room, which was like the elephant in the room that you just said with this liability issue that took place, is that pharma companies were losing massive amounts of revenue. Just like the airplanes coming down, if you look at Pfizer's revenue, it dropped to nearly $25 billion by 2019, from $65 billion to, 25, uh, to $45 billion. After 2020, just like 9-11, pharma's revenue goes up like that because of the vaccine. Many people made a ton of money, including the so-called grifters, Ken, who didn't say anything. A lot of doctors who were silent in 2020, then they start writing books and everything, right, after the fact. So the takeaway from 9-11, and if we apply it to today, was in 2020, a lot of theater took place. Trump was part of that theater, acting like he was against big pharma, acting like he was against, now he says he's against the vaccine mandates and the mask mandates, but he was fully behind them. And um, what are your thoughts about people like this, Ken, and what you've seen in the media, how they do the th theatrics and what we see in recent before we go to Maui? What's your observations on that from what you've seen in the modern times in 2020, the theatrics, the actual theater? I don't think people understand the level of theater that these people are able to do, especially with modern really technology now. So much to unpack there. I'm going to try and summarize it very briefly to deal with everything that you've just brought up. Um, first off, if we don't learn from our past, we have no chance of charting an intelligent course moving forward. What are people's understanding of the past of history? BS. Uh, I can call BS on virtually all of it, and I won't even get into a subject or two which really uh, hits the heart of the solutions to our challenges but that's for another day. The reason why we are in this state of enslavement is because of a dumbing down process with a controlled media that tells us a narrative that is a fairy story. The official version of 9-11 is a joke. It's an insult. Even the, I mean, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, Richard Gage, friend of mine, uh, I don't know, it's like over 2000 architects and engineers saying, you know, this can't possibly be the explanation. We have too many other things, uh, everything that we've done subsequently. It's because we, as human beings, I'm going to, all of these bastards in the Congress and all the presidents, all of them, all of them should be hung for treason, according, especially the current one. I call America today, not the USA, but the USSA. We are the United Soviet States of America at this point. Communism is coming right through the front door, invited right into the White House, and why? Are we in this situation because we submitted to mandates? Has anybody read the Constitution? What are your rights? I did not wear that diaper on my face ever, and I refused. I flew internationally. If we refused to submit to tyranny, we wouldn't be in this place. But it's our children who are going to inherit this enslavement, so shame on us. These treasonous bastards who are in the Congress 
We have accepted corruption as a matter of course. Why do we accept corruption from our so-called representatives? And what does that say of us? This fantasy of 9-11 and COVID? My kids who live in England with their mother were traumatized from being pulled out of school, prevented from socializing, socially distancing, wearing that stupid mask on your face, which inherently involves you re-inhaling your exhalation and reducing your oxygen intake. This is ridiculous, and it would only take a kindergartner, kindergartner with basic biology to understand how stupid this is. But over a lifetime of being educated, indoctrinated, we have become so dumbed down that there's a great movie to illustrate this very well. Have you ever seen Idiocracy? Oh, yeah. I have, that, actually. Yeah. yeah. So if you well, haven't seen it, the Hollywood producers who didn't want you to see Sound of Freedom and the $34 billion a year child sex slave industry, well, they didn't want you to see Idiocracy either. Uh, otherwise, everybody would know it. I highly recommend it. We have been dumbed down to the point that it really is embarrassing. Well, Ken, I think I just want to take a quick break here because it's we're talking about education, right? Um, yeah. So I think I told you this course we used to teach, right? We used to teach students as a subversive course to help them connect the dots and then be able to communicate things. And in the 1920s and 50s, a field came out in engineering because engineering engineers can't bullshit scientists can. Um, called systems science. System science was basically a field which said that, you know, everything is siloed in education. You know, you go study humanities, you go study electrical engineering, you go study mechanical engineering, you go study individual siloed fields. And what had occurred was that the modern world is made up of complex systems, like the transportation system, the healthcare system, the military industrial complex, right? So on. And these systems are not any one field. They're a system of systems of multiple fields. You know, your iPhone is not any just one technology anymore, right? You have to understand material science. You have to understand mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, communications. These are complex systems now. And the thesis was that we're not educating people to understand large scale systems. Um, because if you put people just to sort of nerd out in any one area, you could keep people separate and no one ever really knows the whole. So compartmentalized, systems, yes. Yeah, compartmentalized, siloed. Um, so people like Norbert Wiener, you know, is a, like social distancing, like social distancing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so, really get everybody at home. Nobody can talk. Nobody yeah, can so, get together. Nobody can conspire against the government that's oppressing right. them. You so, know. Blah, so blah, blah. in in academia right now, you're actually incentivized to focus on a very small topic. If you're studying the cell, you get a Nobel Prize if you just find out two molecules interact. They don't want people to understand how the whole cell works together. That's called the systems approach. So that was my field for many, many years because I wanted to take the systems approach. I used to teach a class which became the most popular elective, all these, and I never charged anything for it, right? I did it. Uh, and, um, but what emerged out of that was when I found that there is a way that you could teach any human being how to see the world as how it is to connect the dots. That's called system science. So I teach this at MIT. I took it out of MIT. Then we started teaching it all over the world. And then we made it accessible to every human being. But you find out that there's a set of nine principles in system science, a kindergartner could learn, an adult could learn, a hairdresser could learn, a PhD could learn. And we found out three of those- Dr. Shiva, 
it sounds similar to like the scientific method, the actual method, if, if applied strictly, is actually really good. Right. Of course. So what happens but is... Wait, 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 it's not being applied. Right. No, the it's not being applied the scientific method. That's for damn sure. Right. And the reason it's not applied is because the underpinnings of the scientific... The scientific method itself is a system. And what happens is that if you don't teach people how that any system works... You don't even re see the reason why you should even apply the scientific method. So where, where we live now. So anyway, so anyway, I used to teach this course, became a pop, the most popular course. But I found out after I finished teaching that, well, uh, when I developed that, I went to India for about two years. And I found out that the nine principles that occur in engineering system science were the same nine principles that show up in ancient and traditional systems of medicine. Same nine principles. So these ancient yogis were looking at the body as a system. They also use these same nine principles, but they call them different words. Okay. Right. So the Western scientists looked at them and they thought they were smoking something. And when I started running for office, Ken, I found out that. Maybe they were. Maybe they were. <laughs> well, it anyway. They used to meditate. They didn't need to smoke. But when, the, no. when you meditate, you turn on your own endocannabinoid system. And it's another story. But anyway, right. yes, when I ran yes. for office, we found out that the. Three of those nine principles are invariant, truth, freedom, and health. In the ancient system of India, they call this pitta, vatha, and kapha, which is what occurs in your body. Pitta is a principle of conversion, right? Vatha is a process of movement, and uh, kapha is your structure. So if you look at your body, your body has all these three processes, movement, us talking, right, moving our mouth. Cognition is a conversion process. The scientific method is a conversion process. The structure of your body is a kapha element, right? So truth, so, and the same shows up in truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is a movement process. Truth, as you just pointed out, is a conversion process of applying the scientific method. You take all sorts of wacky ideas, you come to truth, and health is the structural process. So anyway, um, Jay Forrester was a very nice man. He was a Midwesterner, grew up on a farm. He died in 19, he died at the age of 99. He was a professor at MIT. He wanted to teach system science to every kindergartner. And MIT was even against it because it's fascinating. There was a department created at MIT in 2003 to create a systems level division. And it started doing really well and started threatening all the siloed compartmentalized departments and they shut it down. So, but system science is the key for people to get beyond this compartmentalized thinking and see the elephant, you know, versus seeing the parts. So I want to play a quick right. video because what's happened, um, and then we'll come right back. I just want to get a glass of water. But, uh, but to your point, Ken, the reason I want to play this video is that, yes, we know these guys are up to no good, but there is a way out. And the way out is yeah. teaching people how to think and how, and the, and the, and the existing systems are not going to do that. So we had to do th the job, of actually creating the curriculum, the and we've done that, and and we have now close to half a billion people throughout the world with all the videos we did that learned about about a half a million people now have touched this, and and to give you an idea of how powerful this curriculum is, we had a woman who's a hairdresser who does nails and hair. She understands. And by the way, this curriculum is what Henry Kissinger learns, what Soros learns, and with this curriculum, they're able to manipulate people. But she was teaching this to a PhD out of the University of Chicago. So we have created a way that it's a learn, teach, and serve model. Let me just play this, and we'll be right back. Um, and then we want to move over to Maui, Ken, because we want to 
talk about the theater. We've talked about the theater of 9-11. We've seen the theater in COVID. And I do want to, you know, I, I want to, after we come back from this, I do want to, it's easy to see Biden's an idiot. It's easy to see Bush as an idiot. One of the things we teach in this course, Ken, the real wisdom is when you start seeing Trump as part of this and Kennedy as part of this. Because these people right, are right. great. They're the not so obvious establishment. And the reason change hasn't occurred, it's not because of the obvious people who manipulate us, but it's the not so obvious people. And so let me play this sure. before we right back. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within. And the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves. Because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you, deep down inside them that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. This reality is what people need to wake up to. And we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left wing, right wing. There is a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders. We don't need followers like social media. We need leaders, but they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. We got to train people first with understanding what a system is, the dynamics of all systems that affect nature. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Truth, freedom, health. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, Forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics. And there is a science to it. They lock us down. We should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is the not-so-obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is the not-so-obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right. The Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you. The Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're going to follow some right wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. We're building a bottoms up movement. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game, 
and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up. His own, quote unquote, people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum where people can go to truthfreedomhelp.com and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people two years of MIT control systems. I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it, anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I gotta build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute, and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. And the Senate campaign's expanded to the movement for truth, freedom, and health, and they can find it on truthfreedomhealth.com so people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, health leader, I offer a full scholarship there, but we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to truthfreedomhelp.com. All right, Ken, a couple of announcements I just want to make. So, Ken, you should um, also come every, I think every Thursdays, Ken, we do these open houses. We have people from all over the world. When we started doing these, and it's, you know, we, we educate people. We're an educational movement to teach people dynamics. People don't know George Soros is one of the leaders in system science, you know? And the elites actually, is there some, okay, take your time. We'll wait for Ken to come back. So what I wanted to let everyone know is every Thursdays, we do 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. open house, and you can meet some incredible people from all over the world. You'll, we have people from all the way from Asia to Europe, Finland, Norway, New Zealand, Australia, plus obviously all, all people from the United States. Um, and the goal of this education is to the, our earlier discussion without people learning how to think. Today, people are taught what to think, but not how to think. And once you learn how to think, you can start looking beyond left and right. You start to see things as they are. So in our discussion that we started having here on 9-11, um, once you learn how to think, you start seeing inconsistencies. Um, uh, you start starting to appreciate the fact that there's actually one of the ways that the elites control people is actually to do theater. And with modern technology, they can get very, very good at theater. I mean, the, the technology that existed you know, in 2002 one, it's now 21 years, 22 years later. The kinds of things that people can do with AI, you can create all sorts of things. Um, so what? that's why a number of people, Ken, may not be are, are talking about, hey, you know, when we do our lives, Ken, just to give you an idea, before I was thrown off Twitter, I used to do a tweet. Uh, I used to get about 30,000 retweets. And after I exposed the fact that the government has a backdoor portal into Twitter in my lawsuit, and then when I got back on, um, Elon Musk thought I would bow down to him and beg to him, but we started exposing the fact that this backdoor portal exists. So my views went from like 500,000 per day down to 3,000. So the future 
is offline. So, you know, running for president, what we recommend people to do is you can go to Shiva for president and get one of these bumper stickers. Now, why am I promoting this old school model? Because you put one of these bumper stickers up, um, 100,000 people see it per day. The other thing is when people go to shivaforpresident.com, we have this very nice flyer and it's got a very nice graph in there. And the graph is really the fundamental issue that we want to talk about. That red line, Ken, is the U.S. life expectancy over the last 60 years. You notice it's going downward, if you can see that, okay? It's an inverse curve. The rest of the industrialized nations are going up, but they're also, if you notice, they're also starting to trend downward. And we say the lesser of two evils is killing your children. We educate people on who the swarm is and then the different videos we have. And, and then we invite people to our open house we have. So every Thursdays at 11 and 8, we do an educational open house. We'll take some issue like last week we took masks. In 2020, Ken, we not only educated people, you know, we had a report we put out masks and oral health, and we took a systems approach. We showed at a molecular level when you put a mask on what it does to the mouth, how it changes the pH of your mouth, how it affects the different microbiome in your mouth. But we coupled that, that's a truth piece, with the freedom piece, we actually had legal documents that people could use to go on the ground using the science to challenge their school boards. In fact, to t scare the hell out of these school board officials that because of the science here, if they passed a mask mandate that you could sue them in their individual capacity. So we combined science, right? The truth, freedom activities on the ground. So we wanna basically, you know, we wanna talk about solutions because there's a thousand different ways that people, people know how to manipulate people. The 9-11 theater is an extreme example, the COVID theater. Um, but the solution is we have to build a bottoms up movement. In order to grow bottoms up movement, you need the physics and the science. Go to Truth, Freedom and Health, become a warrior scholar because you'll start understanding how to build these movements because the future is not any one individual. It's the individual learning how to think. But, you know, uh, and we'll come back to that. But Ken, we've talked about the theater of 9-11, right? And I think, as we said, there's more than enough anomalies, but we want to use the occasion of 9-11 to educate people on the theatrics that take place. We've talked about the COVID theater, um, but I know you talked about Biden being a complete dope, but we have to also recognize that Trump was part fully engaged in this, Ken. When they brought him in, you know, if it was Hillary Clinton and there would have been a revolution, they needed this white guy, you know? So Trump did everything for big pharma. He did everything to execute the vaccine and COVID mandates. He did everything. But the most important thing is right now, in my view, the white working class is a target of the elites. They need to manipulate them to give them a white hero before they gave them Obama. They used him up. And Trump was part of that. Europa, the last battle. Europa, I open up that film. I didn't produce it, but boy, oh boy, they don't want you to see that. They don't yep. want you to see that. They don't want you to see the greatest story never told either. They don't yep. want you to see that. That's going to turn your understanding of history upside down. And yes, the birth rates for us white folk are going down. They keep telling us there's too many people. BS to that. BS to that. So can't white let's people, we're dying out. And, and for those of you uh, who hate on whitey and now black lives matter and it's racist to even be proud to be white, forget it, dude. Uh, let's move over to the last battle.net. 
I, Ken, let's move over to, uh, so we've talked about 9-11. Um, we've talked about, um, you know, the, the theater, that the establishment has all these people from Elon Musk to Fucker Carlson, to Robert Kennedy, to Joe Rogan. And they, anyone who gets massive visibility is part of the theater. Anyone who doesn't get visibility is part of the truth in many ways, right? So you're sitting there in Maui, right, Ken? I mean, you're in Maui. You've seen these fires take place. Um, and, you know, obviously we've seen on the news the fact that people like Oprah Winfrey, the elites have lots of land over there. The fires have come in. We've heard the stories that now people are going in and um, buying uh, the real estate at, you know, they're offering people ridiculous prices. Tell us what your observations were in seeing the theater in Maui, Ken, over the last, what, eight weeks. Okay. Um, again, I have to explain this through the filter of how I see the world and how I understand the world. And unfortunately, um, this is not a majority perspective. However, however, um, what is clear is the First Amendment, the Constitution that I swore to uphold, that's the First Amendment's gone, as if you hadn't noticed. I mean, I've been shadow banned with the best of them. If you ask the Israelis, who I've tangled with face-to-face -face many times over, I am a, quote, operative of Hamas. If you look at the U.S. congressional records right now, it literally says I am, quote, linked to Al-Qaeda because the Israelis say so. Now, my point being, everything that we are told is virtually the opposite of the truth. Everything that we supposedly stand for, we are submitting to the opposite. And as an example, the First Amendment, the right of a free press, the right of free speech is dead, dead. The crime scene is being covered up. They now want to spray glue, <laughs> glue on top of this already like incinerated piece of real estate. And, and all of this is so blatantly obvious, the fox guarding the hen house. So the fox is guarding the hen house. The fox is a traitor who's totally destroyed the constitutional values that really are the linchpins of any kind of real republic that is based on a bill of rights and, and rights that you can't vote away. All of that has been played out. What we see as well is 2,000 children missing, not registered in the schools. Ken, are we talking about Maui right now? Or is yes, in Maui. Maui. Yeah. So, so Maui. can you can you just go back because you you're physically there? When did when did the fire start, Ken, in Maui? Do you remember what? Well, it was three weeks ago, uh, the eighth, I believe. Right. And um, now, where are you relative to where the fires took place? North, south, east, west. Where are you? So I am in sort of the central part. Wailuku, it's sort of central, basically. And how far are and you from Lahaina? Yeah, Lahaina. How far are you from there? I uh, roughly thirty-five minute drive. Uh, Lahaina. Were you able to see the smoke and everything from where you are? No, I, I went there uh, days afterward to as close oh. as you could get, and I, I've seen the damage from that perspective. Of course, my my access to the actual visual evidence is same as you what we've seen online that that's that's it you can't get in uh i had intended to go to lahaina to have a drink at the hard rock cafe i've been there many times it's uh you know it's a playground for the rich tourists and they're all rich compared oh, to the you are 10, 35 minutes away you can't see any of the fires 
you don't see anything, right? Ah, uh, smoke. Yeah, you can see you smoke. See smoke. Okay. Um, yeah. And so when you when it occurred three weeks three weeks ago, what was your sentiment about what was taking place? Is this the first time this kind of fire has ever taken place in Maui? No. So there's there's a lot of things that have led up to this point. One, let, let's if we're going to be real and cut to the chase, we've got weather modification, which is admitted by the federal government going back to the 50s. So we really shouldn't debate that. They can modify the weather. We've got directed energy, which again, Dr. Judy Woods, where did the towers go? 9-11, buildings turning to dust. That technology has been used before. The fact that the media don't tell us, well, of course not. They're the prostitutes of propaganda. Their job is to lie to us. Um, same thing with the governments. So, you know, the, these things that we can see that any legitimate investigation or media would reveal are being hidden. But most important of all, in my opinion, is the 2000, I believe it's maybe 1800 now, all, children that were registered in schools who have not registered, remain unregistered, and are unaccounted for. And we're not hearing about that. Which, by the way, ties into the bigger, broader issue that Sound of Freedom, the movie that only came to the box office because of the efforts of Mel Gibson and the producers, and really, otherwise, we never would have seen it. Disney sat on it. $34 billion a year in child sex slavery. That's a lot of customers, by the way. That's a lot of children doing five to ten, quote, tricks for Johns who like to have sex with children. Thirty-four billion. We've got 1,800 or 2,000 missing children out here. Where's that in the news? I'll tell you what, if it was your child, you'd be real concerned about it, wouldn't you? You'd probably think it was the top news story. But I guess it takes all of us to lose our children individually to start actually thinking about the things that matter. Because what matters is those missing children. What matters is the Kanaka Maoli enduring a genocide, I say genocide, according to the legal definition of the word, the federal and state policies of the United States towards the Kanaka Maoli, the Hawaiian nationals, is genocidal. And I can prove it, and I've done it in the United States of hypocrisy, which I produced 25 years ago. The policies are intended to dispossess the actual birthright holders of the land, the national lands, and basically to create a little sanctuary, a little Shangri-La for the rich bastards who are running our world into the ground. They want a bunch of ocean between them and the lynch mob, which is coming. So they want Maui. They want a 15-minute island, smart island. They want their WEF, World Economic Forum. Governor Josh Green, who is a dual Israeli national. Governor Josh Green is Israeli and American. Which one is he more loyal to, I wonder? I already know the answer to that. But nonetheless, Mr. Green is sitting over this. We've got the police chief, who is also the coroner. Oh, wow, that works out well. So you get to investigate the cause of death and determine the cause of Oh, that works out really well. Oh, yeah, by the way, the guy who sat over Las Vegas, the biggest mass shooting in American history, he got promoted. And what he got here... He got, he, got an advance, he got a raise within three months, 30%, didn't he? Wow. And all of the people, the police that had been close to retirement and all, were quitting in protest, saying this guy was absolute poison. This is in Maui. I don't know his name, by the way. This is, in, this is in Maui, right? The police chief of, of Maui is, is, is Peltier, 
who yep. sat over the biggest mass shooting in, in U.S. history in Las Vegas. He was then promoted for that to Maui police chief and give it a 30% raise. Ken, wow. let, me ask, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. You know, we talked about theater, right? The theatrics. Yeah. You have the not-so-obvious establishment, the fucker Carlsons, the Trumps, the Kennedys. And these people are used to, they say they say all the things as though they're fighting for people, but they're all part of the establishment, as you know, right? Now, what's fascinating yeah. for me is many years ago, I used to go to Kauai a lot, you know, a small island. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg likes it out there. Yes, and Zuckerberg... Uh, I met this woman who was the attorney who actually helped him steal all the land from all the native Hawaiians, right? Gather all the yeah. land and let's do that. Yeah. And actually aggregate like 300 acres. Um, but what's interesting is we did a movie, a, a thing called Poisoning Paradise. A guy called Pierce Brosnan was the producer of it. And his wife, uh, Keely, they live on Kauai. But anyway, the movie was about the poisoning, uh, how they use the island for... Uh, test fields, right, for Syngenta, right, with the Native Hawaiians. Um, and I was the chief scientist in that movie. But what's interesting is when I look at the not-so-obvious establishment, Tulsi Gabbard really bugs me, okay? She says all these things. She's promoted on Fox all day. She was part of the Council of Foreign Relations. And, you know, they had her giving her visibility as, oh, like, you know, she's helping all the Hawaiians, Right. And she's supposedly the fighter against the military-industrial academic complex. And when we were doing that movie, I was wondering, like, what is she doing? Like, did she, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. And I know her district is actually Maui. Okay? So, obviously, you know, and she's the darling of Fox News right now. She gets pushed by the neoliberals, right? And I'm curious to, you know, with, with all the elites that live on Maui, right? They own all the land. And to your point, they're just stealing the land from the natives. What is she doing? I haven't seen her do anything for these people. Have you? No, it, it's as Shakespeare rightly said, all the world is a stage. Um, you know, it, it is, it's theater. It really is. And, and someone I just, think this is like, we have student yet another pawn. That's what someone just wrote there. Yep, go ahead. But you're there. You know, the first the first thing I say in Europa, the last battle, kind of nails it. And and I have had to repeat this over and over and over. People don't understand. They don't understand because if you're a human being who has an actual heart and any kind of actual real human qualities, actual human nature, not at all, even that phrase, human nature, I cringe when people say it because – it's like looking at a, a battery hen, like six packed to a cage, and then using them to assess what is natural behavior of hens. It's ridiculous. They're insane, and they're locked together, and it, they're messed up in the head. So you can't look to that to see what our true nature is. Right now, you can't look to human beings to understand what our true nature is, because we're living in a state of trauma, not only terrestrially today, but generationally, passed down over and over. So what we see today is like in law, we don't see law. We see the color of law. What we see today passing as normal is collective insanity. This is the world we're living in. And, and it's all brought on through really a process of mind control. I have a question for you, Dr. Shiva. 
I'm sure you've seen it at some point, but if not, you know, it, it is a master class to explain exactly what we're going through today. Former KGB agent Yuri Brezhnev, Brezhnev, in 1984, interesting year, talked about how you take over a country as a, as a Soviet asset under communism. And what he basically said was that the process of taking over a nation has nothing to do with James Bond or any of that. That's all Hollywood. That's all ridiculous. The way, real way you do it is through infiltration and ultimately to demoralize. You demoralize. So when you have a president like Barack Obama, just as one example, who is, I'm sorry, like if I act my old school way, he's a faggot, all right? And his wife is a man. And we have copious amounts of evidence to support this. We also have the guy resurfacing who, uh, you know, like to go ahead and pleasure him orally down there um, while they were snorting some coke. Now, if you have a president who's gay, which, you know, that's not so bad, I suppose, but I don't really want a gay guy. But nonetheless, who's got a woman posing, a man posing as a woman, this is demoralizing. When you have a guy like Joe Biden, the guy can barely walk up steps to his plane. He is a bumbling idiot. He touches and approaches kids inappropriately. You can see them practically run when he's sniffing them. We have been so demoralized that really, what do we have at this point? What do we have? A flag that we wave and a constitution we ignore. We have submission where we should have resistance. We have courage where we have beta males. We have we have literally now children able to chemically castrate themselves. This is where we are. And in Russia, by the way, they're not confused about what a boy or a girl is, and they're not allowing chemical castration legally, whatever. And I, I think our audience understands all this, you know, because our audience is sort of yes. there uh, on this. The, the bigger issue is to understand. So you have the obvious establishment who does this, you know, but it's a not so obvious establishment. In my view, once most of the smart people get the Bushes and the Bidens and the Clintons and all this, okay, even the Obamas. But the harder thing is to overcome people to understand how evil the Trump and the Kennedys and the Sanders, like Trump, Trump is a is a Sanders of the right. Sanders is a Trump of the left. This is a very, very important principle because if you actually go look at Trump's history, Trump was actually fine with transgenderism, even in his own universal pageants, okay? So, and he hung out with Epstein, and and he and he's dealing with women inappropriately, including his own daughter, and, and blah blah blah. It's all there. Look, look. I saw you know because I know the guys who did the Sound of Freedom movie. I saw it a year before. Okay, I know the guys who made it. But what to me was fascinating in the Sound of Freedom movie, they made about a couple hundred million. All right, the three guys that were heavily involved in pushing and promoting are all devout Catholics. Okay. Supporting the Pope, in fact, including Jim Cavaziel. All right. Now, what's fascinating to me is the biggest pedophile central operation which has supported this has been the Vatican. And so the contradiction to me is that we live in an interesting world of theatrics that those who are actually perpetrating the crime actually do the limited hangout, which is they actually talk about how they're screwing you over and then hope people have amnesia and forget about it. You see, the Sound of Freedom movie came, 
a lot of money was made, boom, everyone thinks it's done. And this is a very interesting phenomenon that takes place where the elites have learned how to talk about the crimes that they do, make movies about it, um, promote leaders who mouth that they're fighting against it. But when the shit is actually happening, they do nothing at the time it's occurring. So if you look at COVID 2020, when in March of 2020, Trump was actually lockstep and barrel with all of this of the of this uh, governors promoting the mandates, promoting the vaccine mandates. Now he comes and says, we will not comply. When I get into office, I'm going to do this. You see, to me, that's the real evil. And we need so. And I find it fascinating that someone like Fucker Carlson now talks about Obama. Well, Fox News knew about this back in 2008. They did nothing. So this is a real thing that we try to educate people, Ken. It's the not so obvious establishment. It's not the obvious establishment. And when people start recognizing that the, there's the obvious and the not so obvious. Let me, let me give you an example of, you know, this woman, Tulsi Gabbard, represents herself as though she's some fighter. Well, this is her page on the Council of Foreign Relations. And if you go through this, it's fascinating, okay? Because yeah, climate yeah. and energy, she's all lockstep and barrel with the Green Deal. She said she was against, you know, she was fully in step with the Paris agreements. No one really goes and looks at these people, what policies they actually support, okay? She's a hawk on Islamist terrorism, you see? And people should go look at these people. That's why, you know, I wanted to really close as we talked about these people and they have a crew, a manufacturing facility of people like this. They continually manufacture these not so obvious establishment people. And then they do the obvious thing with people like the Bidens and the Obamas, right? But Jared Kushner, I mean, he's as bad or worse as Hunter Biden. So Hunter Biden has obvious problems, right? Not as good PR. But here you have Kushner, who got a $2 billion loan from the Saudis. And no one talks about that. So the not so obvious establishment is what we need to focus on. So when you go back to wrapping up Maui, what I was really curious about is Tulsi Gabbard talks a big game. Oh, you're da, 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 da. You think like she's going to be the next revolutionary. But man, I haven't seen her be it on the island of Kauai when they were polluting it what they've done to the native Hawaiians there using it as a, bi a you know, biologic biotech test field or from, you know, after the fires have taken place, you, you see them doing these photo ops. And I think that's what people need to really, really get smart on the theater from nine 11 to COVID to Maui, <coughs> because without that, we're just going to be talking for another 20 years, how they're screwing us. And the people really screwing us are the not so obvious establishment. It's obvious they have the obvious establishment, but the not so obvious may, yeah. is, and I don't think the quote unquote people are talking enough, spend equal amount of time talking about the not so obvious establishment. So um, any final thoughts, Ken, as we close, we've been talking for about an hour and a half here. Any final thoughts? How much time? How much time? You, you, you talked about a lot there and a lot of players, which I thought we both acknowledge. We, we know they're, 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 they, 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 they don't work for <laughs> yeah. the people. Um, I don't know if you give me an idea how much time I got. I would like to summarize a few things. Uh, we want to wrap up in the next five minutes. We have one final video to play. But if you can sort of summarize your sort of journey into this concept of theater. Okay. And go ahead. Right. And where do you see that? Go ahead. So 
okay, like for instance, uh, as a mind control trick, there was there's too much. Even in this conversation, a lot of talk about what they did on 9/11. More important, in my opinion, is who did it and why. I tried to say it, but I'll say it again. Greater Israel, Project for a New American Century, Rebuilding America's Defenses, Global Spectrum Dominance, it's all there. It's all there. If you, I'm not some genius. I'm not. I'm just a guy who really, really, really is dedicated to truth. And as Jesus said, getting to a spiritual man who I love deeply, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The problem is that it's much more comfortable to maintain the lie, because that is the path of least resistance. For those of us who are nuts enough to take on the path of greatest resistance, we do so because of our devotion to truth. And as soon as we take this path, we realize that we're hitting brick walls everywhere, trying to block us from understanding, much less spreading the truth. To the extent that you've been targeted, I've been targeted, I, I'll put myself up as top one of the top targets ever even having been assassinated put in the bangkok hilton for christ's sake for a six-day visa overstay <laughs> one of the worst prisons in the world so you know the the time we are at now is is for warriors if you're not a warrior malcolm x was a good example of this he was asked what is the price for freedom big word in your mantra mine is true justice peace by the way uh, Malcolm was asked, what is the price for freedom? He didn't hesitate. The price for freedom is death. And if you aren't willing to pay that price, then don't use that word in your vocabulary. Bam, spot on. If you're not willing to die, you're not qualified to be a leader. Flat out. And all of these, you know, fake leaders, ironically, and I have to, I have to say it. I just have to say it because there is a truth that is so implanted that virtually no one will say what I, what I will say now in just a word. There is an example of a time in history where we faced inflation, unemployment, homelessness, destitution, high suicide rates, incarceration rates up, everything that you don't want to be high up and we're high in and it's going higher. Everything that you don't want to be low in, we're low in. And there was another time in history, post-1929, the great crash by the bankers, engineered by the bankers on the back of the Roaring Twenties. So they inflate the money supply with their funny money, and then they, boom, they restrict it. That's what happened with COVID. The economy was boom, shut down, destroyed. The only ones that could survive that process is the big corporations, the Walmarts, the Amazons, these guys. But the small businesses, boom, tanked. So they can manipulate the financial markets. They can manipulate false flags. They can manipulate the media. They can manipulate the politicians. They can manipulate the academia all through the head of the snake, which is the financial system. And all the while, we wonder why we're in this place. Because we're stupid, and we're mind-controlled, and we submit. COVID, those were mandates. What's a mandate? Where's the law? Why didn't anybody ask, what's the law? What is the actual law? If you're going to tell me I have to wear a diaper on my face, uh, by what law are you telling me? A mandate? That's not a law. There is a supreme law, which anybody could read, 
in an hour or two. But how many know that? So yeah, what's fun? What's really interesting is if you go on my feeds here anywhere, you know, in the last nine months, because we were heavily involved in 2020, I was the first one to call out Fauci. We ran the Fire Fauci campaign. You know, uh, you know, I I met with Trump. Um, he didn't do any of the things that he said he was going to do. And I think what's interesting is now in 2023, 2024, you will see him because he's got a, a team of people just just watch the words that are being said. So they literally have people saying, oh, the people want you to say this, be against mandates, be against this and openly say it. So they literally have a set of people watching the words, literally sound bites of what people need to hear. And they literally manufacture these sound bites. They're never going to do any of it, mm -hmm. right? Lock her up, never got done. Drain the swamp, never got done. Build the wall, never got done. And then the biggest- Special prosecutor for Hillary Clinton. Never got done. Where's your special prosecutor? Right. Where and, is it? Right. And But what they've done is, um, and I think this is why the occasion to really reemphasize this is, the people that get involved in following these clowns then become- the people also are the ones who are the apologists for them. So when, you know, I did a tweet a couple of days ago, look, Trump was fully behind the mask mandates. Oh, well, he had to do that because you see yeah. and fill it in. Or, well, yeah. Kennedy had to bang 38 women and then have his wife hang, fill in the blanks. All right. So they create their false heroes, the fake gods, and then they have the apologists apologizing for them. And to me, What's really fascinating is over in the last nine months, what we've seen in our open houses is it's fascinating. You should come to one of them. We will literally see people three years ago who were angry with me for exposing Trump and Kennedy as bullshitters, right? Biden and those guys are easy. And now they come and they say, you know what? I saw your video exposing Joe Rogan and Kennedy. I really hated you for doing that. But then for two days, I couldn't sleep because I knew everything you were saying was right. I had to go through my cognitive dissonance. And they say, you know, and by the way, we call our program the Warrior Scholar Program. We believe you have to fight, but you also have to know the science. Another guy was a doctor out in the West Coast. He said, you know, I thought Kennedy was saying all the right things, but I realized, wow, he was promoting the lockdowns right in the heat of it. He, you know, went down the list. He's for full vaccination. He loves moment. Israel. He loves Israel He's as well. Zionist Just another one who loves Israel. He's a Zionist hoodlum. All of them are Zionist hoodlums. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. what, what's really cool, and I want to give people. Do you know Cynthia McKinney, by the way? What's Cynthia that? McKinney? Oh, yeah. Yep. Do you know Cynthia? And, I don't know. Her. I know her. But James Trafficant. James Trafficant. Love that man. What a beautiful man. There was a real American patriot. But what's interesting is. They all have to bow down to Zionism. They all, at the heat of battle, they always, they never tell the truth when it's important. They wait and then they make movies uh, later respinning it. But what's really fascinating, Ken, is that we now have a growing group of people because we've been exposing, you know, in Christ's time, they were called the Sadducees and the Pharisees, right? The not so obvious establishment. The not so obvious establishment is really the enemy of the people because without exposing them, I mean, Biden and all these guys are just theater, you know, that's easy shit. OK, mm -hmm. but the not so obvious establishment is who they use. The Tulsi Gabbards, they had to go find this brown nosing dude, Vivek the snake, we call him the slimy snake. OK, they literally go find people who mouth the words, 
but they have no intention. And now they created a stable of those people. And then the cult of those people are the apologists for them. But once we break yeah. people from those can, it becomes very, very difficult for them to, because then you build enough people who've figured out the theater. So anyway, Ken, I, I think this was valuable. We should do it again. But 9-11 was massive theater. COVID was massive theater. And from you being in Maui, you know, I think the takeaway is they want You know, the elites are in Maui. They did this massive theater because they want to make that their hideaway. Right. When people get out their pitchforks and their knives and they want to make Maui their getaway. At least that's what I'm taking it uh, from you. So. Thanks, Ken. I just want to uh, uh, play a final video because people know that, you know, I have always believed if you go back to the 1920s, what you talked about, uh, the, the late 1800s and the 1920s point the way forward. In the late 1800s, four American workers were hanged for fighting for the eight-hour workday. Seven American workers were shot in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for fighting for the eight-hour workday. And, when, and, and it was the late 1800s and 1900s where nearly 150 million people organize these bottoms up movements, which have been wiped out of American history. Those bottoms up movements is why we got rid of child labor, right? We started building infrastructure in the United States. And that's when as a GDP grew, everyone's wages grew. But in the 1950s, as we study this, you find out that the right wing branded all of those movements as communist movements, right? You know, as though everything is controlled by Russia. And then the left took over these bottoms up movements. So by the 1970s till today, there hasn't been any real bottoms up movements. The left and the right control the narrative. And between 1970 to today, in, you know, in the, in the 70, in between 1900 to 1970, there were close to 150 million people on the ground, close to 11,000. Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to discuss it yeah. next time. I really would. I mean, there's. A so much I'd love to comment on there, but I know I won't have time yeah. now, but yeah, yes. That's yes. why we yes. tell people to get on the ground, Ken. We have to build, rebuild these bottoms up movements and we cannot follow people from above, be it the the Bidens or the Tulsi's or the Trumps. Billionaire or the Kennedy. ain't coming to save you. A billionaire, is not, a billionaire is not coming to save you. Come on, yeah, or guy, come on. Or a guy, yeah, or a guy who's grown up in a, you know, where his uncles and his friends murdered people and got away with stuff, you know? So that's why I think people got to start respecting our own. So actually, anyway, if I may just really quickly on that yeah. point, super quick, I, I think all of us who have any kind of heart within this body that we call human, we all knew like when we were young, like, okay, millions of starving Africans. Okay. Billionaires. Okay. Shit. I, I could just feed them all like boom, like that. It would hardly put a dent, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And that's where I started contemplating at a young age, like, why? Like, why? Why Why are we all? And even now, with Oprah and Rock, are you kidding me? Exactly. Up, oh, give to the Maui Fund. Us two billionaires need your help, working right. class people. You assholes. You dumbasses. Right. You really, think, I, I could have been your PR person. Ken, let me just play this video. No, because, don't do that. No, I, I, I want to play this video because... You know, I have always believed in bottoms up movements are running for president is to really give people the example of there's one of us and we need to start looking to us. Let me just play this video. You may like it. Hold on. We'll come right back. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for president of the United States of America? I was born a low caste untouchable in India's caste system, a system of aristocracy, oppression and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. 
I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, engineer, entrepreneur and inventor. My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses and coding software. My friends and neighbors are blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14-year-old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first U.S. copyright for email, recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT, revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, anyplace by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remained safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard, and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not-so-obvious establishment. Across left and right, we were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians, elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption and racism. They transfer trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear-mongering and fake science, lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage in putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit, exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have, so you may learn how to think, stand up, and fight, independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. Now it's time for you to join the movement to win back America, to win back truth, win back freedom, win back your health. That's why I'm running for president of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people, for the working people, who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey, are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health to win back America, be part of this historic movement, all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, 
Pledge your vote now for Dr. Shivaya Duray, the independent candidate for U.S. President. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shivaya Duray, and I approve this message. Paid for by Dr. Shiva for President. A couple of key things. You can go to Shiva for President and you can get this bumper sticker. It's a very simple way because all of us work for a living. It's a way for you to be an activist. 100,000 people see it. But more importantly, if you go to Shiva for President, the download section, we've opened sources. You can download this flyer, print it on black and white anywhere you want and hand it out to people. We've had we've had millions of these flyers going up. But, but the most important thing is it gets you off social media and makes you go offline. The other thing is every Thursdays, those of you who want to get deep into our platform, what we stand for, if you go uh, to um, our Shiva for president slash town hall, we have different issues we discuss, but we just don't do these cursory things. Um, where we just say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. We actually give you the solutions now. So on healthcare, environment, education, innovation, governance, and economy, and we rotate these. One of the things we're going to be doing this week is when it comes to gun violence, um, we have a, it's going to be a, a detailed talk. We're going to talk about the real source of gun violence, where gun violence really comes from, which neither wing of the establishment wants to talk about, you're going to learn where it comes from and what the real solution is. We've done this on every major topic. If you're looking for simple sound bites and we're not the place to come to, okay? Because you're not because if you look at all these other candidates, they say, when I get into this office, I'm going to do this. Well, they're not going to do shit for you anyway. And anything that they say is just sound bites. So people need to go and look what people's characters were, what they actually did at a time of crisis. So that's what we teach people, Ken. So come to our uh, open house, Ken. I think you'll like it. So I have one question from my veteran brother who went to Afghanistan, and I told you, paid a heavy price. Just one yep. quick question by me. Dr. Shiva wins the election, the newly inaugurated president. What is your first act as president? So on November 16th, oh, what the first thing I'm going to do is, and this is something very deeply personal to me and pretty much, you know, on in December of 1791, the most important event took place in for me in world human history was something called the First Amendment, the Bill of Rights. Right. And the First Amendment was critical because it said, by the way, we, only three percent of the people on the planet have this could speak their mind and expose their government. Well, on November 16th. 2018, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency was created, CISA. And that was done by fucking Donald Trump. And every House of Representatives, every single one of them voted unanimously for, for, for that. And every U.S. Senator was unanimous consent. So think about it. The, the executive branch, the judicial, uh, sorry, the legislative branch, all were 100% behind the destruction of the First Amendment. The First Amendment clearly says Congress will pass no law to bridge freedom of speech. CISA, in cooperation with the elites at Silicon Valley, has made this medium that we're on right now. There is no First Amendment in the United States anymore, Ken. And we got to win that back. And then when you look at the Second Amendment, 
And I'll talk about this. Everyone should come to our Thursday workshop. We're going to get really deep into the Second Amendment. And you're going to realize how the Republicans and the Democrats, and including the NRA, and all these people have just been fucking playing people. The bottom line is the Second Amendment is completely destroyed. They don't want to talk about the real issue behind, quote unquote, gun violence, because it'll expose that the government is the one that has been destructive to us. The Second Amendment was created not for so you could go hunting pheasants and deer. That's not why it was created. Come on. The Second Amendment was created so the, the right of the people to ensure that government does not become destructive and we as people could alter and abolish the government. That's why it was created. And the government has become destructive. And now what they're trying to do, Republican and Democrat, little by little, they want to destroy the Second Amendment. So no other country, no other people in the face of humanity have ever had the First and Second Amendments. As far as I could tell, when you look across to the, to the time human beings appeared. So that's what made the United States quite extraordinary. And we have to truly win back freedom. That's where we're at, Ken. So what I would do is by, first of all, I would ensure that SISA was completely destroyed, the first thing. Because without freedom, you don't have anything. Everything is gone. And that's what they've done. And remember, Donald fucking Trump signed SISA. If Hillary Clinton had done that, there would have been a revolution. So elections are selections. They needed a white boy to do that. That's why they brought in fucking Trump. And all the theater that's taking place with his indictment is all fucking theater. It's all theater. Don't get lost in it. Right? So that's what I would do. Agreed. 100%. And, but, yeah. but the Second Amendment was created... Not so all these Republicans say, yeah, I, I you know, I, I really believe, you know, we are good gun owners. We go hunting. It's not why the fucking Second Amendment was created, moron. It was created to make sure that we could have empowered the right of the people to abolish and alter the government when it became destructive. That is why the oh, Second Amendment exists. I have to say this. I was driving across the country in 2020. This madness COVID agenda started. And I got pulled over eight times uh, driving according to the Constitution and law. But I had a sticker on my bumper that they were all so curious about, um, along with veteran of foreign war, combat veteran, uh, missing in action. You're not forgotten. You know, those stickers, USMC. I had another one that got the most attention and I loved it. It looked like an antiquated uh, document, like, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence or something. And it said, the Second Amendment is my gun permit. Expires never. Yeah. I don't, I'm registering my gun with you. The whole point of having the gun is to kill you when you go rogue, to defend yeah. myself. That's the whole point. Why am I going to tell you how many guns I have, how much ammunition I have? That's pretty stupid. That's like telling the Russians who we want to start a war with now. Okay, so our, our nuclear missile silos are here, 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 here. Our submarines are what? No. Nah. So, yes. And, and again, this is another one. Like, stop waving that damn flag, Americans. Read your freaking constitution and be the republic. Yeah. And the only, way, the only way we're going to win back freedom, Ken, is to build a bottoms up movement. And in order to build Agreed. a movement, and this has been something, you know, you know, as I shared in that video, and I grew up in the caste system of India. The United States is now a neo uh, caste system of Brahmins, right? white, yellow, black. It's a multiracial swarm of Brahmins who run this country. And um, they do not like that. They hate this country, these people. Trump hates this country. Fucker Carlson hates this country. Joe Biden hates this country. 
Booby fucking Kennedy hates this country because when we were in the trenches fighting, they were nowhere to be found. They come later on. These people hate America. They hate the concept of the First Amendment and the Second Amendment because they do not want people governing themselves. They want to govern us and they'll say whatever they need to do. So anyway, Ken, this was extraordinary. Let me just say goodbye to people. Just say, all right, everyone, I want to thank Ken O'Keefe uh, for his service to this country. And uh, again, remember, 9-11, if there's one wisdom that you want to take, take away from this, 9-11 was big theater. The elites have infinite resources to do theater. And don't think they're doing theater right now in front of your face. Anyone who gets visibility on mainstream media, don't whether it's positive or negative, are part of the theater. Trump is part of the theater. Fucker Carlson's part of the theater. Joe Rogan is part of the theater. Obviously, Biden and the Bushes are part of the theater. But it's the not-so-obvious establishment we need to learn are part of the theater. They're part of the big theater. And uh, But the big alternative you have is you. The future is you. Go get these flyers and educate your people. That simple graph is a simple way of giving people what's going on. They are actively killing your children. And voting for the lesser of two evils is just plain fucking stupid. Stop doing it. And it's time that we build a bottoms up movement. It's the only way forward. Thank you, everyone. Be well, be the light. Hold on, Ken. I'll be right back with you. Thank you, everyone.